Hello, and welcome to Blood, Sweat, and Careers, a podcast where we discuss culty hyphenates, dig deep into hustle culture, and find hobbies that don't require leaving the couch. We're your hosts, Mallory, Austin, and Catherine. Hey, guys. Hello, hello. We're back. How's everybody doing? We're great. I'm great. (laughs) (laughs) I don't mean to speak for everybody, I guess. I was like, whoa, whoa, speak for yourself. (laughs) I'm great. This is Mallory, untapped CEO for whom donuts are a no-go. I'm Austin Mark, celebrity nail artist and charcuterie connoisseur. And I'm Catherine, an ill-equipped electrician and a shoulder to cry on. Oh. Oh, guys. This is our first, yeah, threesome episode. Is that an appropriate way to say it? How do you guys like that? In a while. We've yet to call it a threesome episode. But it is our first host-only episode in a while, and if you are just jumping in, this is a podcast where we give fake jobs and then talk about real jobs and multi-hyphenate careers. If you're not familiar with that term, a multi-hyphenate is someone who has multiple jobs or multiple passions. It's a term that originated in the 1970s in Hollywood to describe actor, dancer, singers, and we're expanding on that term and broadening it to include gig workers. So if you are a Lyft driver and a singer and a dancer and a mother and a candle maker and a dollhouse expert and anything else, then you fit under our umbrella. You got your science degree in dollhouses? <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh my God, a PhD in dollhouses? Maybe I wouldn't have dropped out of high school if that was an option. Right. I could have been a dollhouse doctor. (laughs) Something about that sounds so weird. Playing dollhouse doctor. (laughs) Anyway, we'll cut that out. (laughs) I liked it. Alliteration's always fun. And another element that we have made a tradition of having in each episode, or some episodes, I should say, is a multi-hyphenate example that offers I think some context to the conversation and this week we thought it might be appropriate to talk about somebody who'd been let go fired left their job um, as that's going to be the main focus of this conversation and it felt like a really amazing example when we discovered that Julia Child had been let go early on in her career and the career had begun so outside of the cooking world. She had not started there and instead we had been working at W&J Sloan in New York, which is an advertising agency, I guess. But she got transferred to Los Angeles and then was fired shortly thereafter for gross insubordination. Have you guys been fired for gross insubordination? (laughs) Uh, I think I... I think I definitely fall into that category. (laughs) The gross part just feels extra. But after she was fired, that's when she discovered cooking because she went to volunteer as a research assistant for the U.S. intelligence agency. I personally had no idea about this. Um, But this was during World War II. And she went to Paris to do this work. And that's where she discovered French cooking and eventually attended Cordon Bleu cooking school. And I think the rest is, as they say, history. She wrote the Mastering 
sorry, she wrote the cookbook, Mastering the Art of French Cooking in 1961 and pretty much a household name now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and she was actually, I think she was in her 40s when she went to Le Cordon Bleu. So I think she fits very nicely into sort of the multi-hyphenate story that we're telling every week of people just trying to figure their lives out and their careers out and that there are plenty of people in their 20s and 30s who are sort of our core demographic who are trying to figure their lives out and can feel really hung up on losing a job or not being on the career track that they feel like they should be on yet. But there are loads of examples of incredibly famous, interesting, brilliant people who didn't get starts in their industries until well into their 40s or 50s. Yeah, that's definitely the key piece I latched on to was just you think of someone like Julia Child just probably having kind of a straight trajectory and being an expert in what she does and did because she knew that she wanted to do it and instead learning that there was this whole pre-career situation and part of it included getting fired. So I think we even had a guest who said, you know, hey, getting fired can be a great thing at times and reshuffle your deck, so to speak. (laughs) you're looking in a new direction I think that's also a great example that right she thought she wanted to be in this one industry advertising or maybe it's something she fell into and it's so easy to get stuck in a career path just because you've done this thing before and whether you're pushed or shoved out of the nest exactly it can be the best thing for anyone after you get over the trauma and the you know what can be a difficult situation of having to make a hard pivot when it's not your choice which I think we can all, and we will all speak to. (laughs) Coming up. Yeah. Yeah. Stay tuned. No. Another person that I just thought was fun to throw in here because, I mean, we've mentioned Devil Wears Prada on a previous episode, so go find that Easter egg. But Anna Wintour has famously pointed out that everyone should be canned at least one time in their career. And I just, in knowing how she was you know, a boss woman on the TV screen. Like that's good to hear from someone of that caliber that she still even sees value, I think, in people perhaps having, like you said, being pushed out of the nest, so to speak. Maybe they're not ready to fly, but they better damn well try. I bet she has pushed plenty of little birds out of her nest. (laughs) Oh, yeah. (laughs) And Winter has graciously been firing people at Vogue since 1988. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, exactly. well, and it sounded like she was fired she started off as a junior fashion editor at Harper's Bazaar and then got fired and then I think almost maybe it solidified her hunger for the industry so almost a different example of someone who was pushed out of a space they thought they belonged and then doubled down and was like heck no I'm coming back in and I'm going to be the editor-in-chief for Vogue I wonder if the person who fired Anna Wintour feels like gravely (laughs) like they were like it was a terrible mistake that they made or if they were like good on me for setting her on the path that she needed to be on she was the one who gave her the quote about everybody should be fired once in their life yeah (laughs) it all worked out for her so yeah we don't know who she was or he (laughs) good point good point Well, yeah, thanks, guys. It's always fun to feel connected to, you know, not only other multi-hyphenates, but I think famous and successful ones at that. So, hey, Julia and Anna, we're (laughs) claiming space in your space. 
<laughs> we're in good company. Absolutely. And so that brings us to our deep dive into the world of leaving a job. There are a lot of ways to end part of your career or your employment in one place. Uh, you can get fired, you can get laid off, you can get furloughed, you can get you can resign or quit. I've done all of these things, so <laughs> happy to speak to any and all of them. But I think there's a little bit of nuance in all of these things, and there are sort of subtle differences in the psychology and the way that you're affected by all of the ways of leaving a job. Well, and it's really timely right now, which is, I think, why we all wanted to dive into this subject, since there's a lot of people who either had you know, who are furloughed and had to learn the term because of it, or, you know, people have been laid off in mass or just having to readjust completely and not having the background on what you can do and like actions and steps that you can take to then protect your career and, and make the better next step. Since sometimes it's just making sure you know that there is even a next step to be able to move forward. I think part of what we thought might be the best way to start was definitely diving into these personal anecdotes. And I know, Austin, you've already laid the foundation to explain you may have a plethora of stories to share, but is there one in particular that maybe feels like it would kick the conversation off? (laughs) Oh, so many. How do I choose? They're like my children stories from jobs. (laughs) The children you don't speak to anymore. (laughs) Right. Um, I got fired from one of my very early jobs for providing false information on my resume that the employer tried to follow up on like again and again and again over like a nine month period. And I kept being like, oh, yeah, yeah, it's in the mail. And then I was on vacation and trying to get back to work and missed a flight. And by the time I got on another plane and got back to Chicago, where I was living at the time, I got a voicemail when I landed that was like, no need to come in today or ever again. Thanks so much. (laughs) Ah. Uh, So that one was memorable. Because it was... You sound young, though. Like that, that was very was young. the fault was, of a child. I mean, I started working at 15, but this was... That was probably, like, at 17. And another job that I got fired from was when I worked in the restaurant industry. Also underage, decided to get, like, fully, fully drunk at a Christmas party. And wow. then after we got off, like, the bus on the way back from the party... My boss, I, I don't even remember most of it. I was told later <laughs> that I was like the last person in the parking lot, still trying to figure out how I was going to get home. And then when I made it back to work uh, the next week, uh, my boss basically pulled me into the office. And I guess this one is a little bit different from getting fired. He was like, you need to not be working here in the next two weeks. So like, <laughs> I was sort of like, like you to resign in this meeting. I was sort of forced to resign. I was, <laughs> I, I was let, let know that I was not going to be working there and that uh, that was the choice that I was going to be making. 
thing. I mean, there's definitely youthful energy around these stories, which I think that almost has its own layer of importance from, you know, what are you learning? Are you able to work? And I know we'll talk about this in another episode, but like, what do you learn by having jobs in your teens and maybe early twenties while you're holding down other responsibilities? And I mean, call Austin, it sounds like he has great advice for what not to do. do. Uh, Yeah. Yeah, no, those were definitely, those were like my youngest years of working and truly like, learning on the fly by just burning every bridge in sight and it truly created a better employee and smarter adult person having been through those situations and just like knowing that there are boundaries and limits and uh, Mm. learning to have to take those things seriously But I I think what also strikes me, and maybe you both can respond to this, considering having an experience like that as a younger worker, perhaps shapes you in ways and makes you a little stronger and sturdier on your feet should you encounter something later where you're fired or let go or put in a position. Because I think my experience might be slightly different in that I worked in my teens. I don't have a particular experience I can call them where I got fired. I had gotten a car crash once and freaked out. And the first person I called was my work to tell them I was going to be late instead of my mom. So that was the kind of like nerdy worker I was in high school. Um, But then later in life, when I did confront moments where I'd been let go or laid off, I think it really, it, it laid me pretty flat for a minute. It was really emotionally distressing and difficult. And I don't know if you guys feel like because maybe you had that reprimandation early on that maybe later, if you've encountered a situation where you were let go or fired, you maybe were prepared for like, okay, life goes on. I will move on. Versus me who was like dead sick on the couch for a full week after it. <laughs> well, yeah, I was going to say, and I also feel like it's, it's a similar to how when you're younger, you can break bones and get up pretty quickly. And it is a lot different when you're older. I know I've mentioned this before, but um, I've graduated undergrad in 2008. I've been laid off uh, three times in my life and it doesn't get easier, like straight up, especially for careers where I care about it. This is a trajectory that I had planned out for myself or a goal that I felt I obtained. And, but then again, I've also had coworkers in these like multi-person layoffs where it hit a lot harder. Granted, they also hadn't been laid off before. And so there is this idea that you did something wrong. And, and we can delve into that a little bit more later, but there is definitely a difference between being fired, which inherently says that you did something wrong and being laid off, which means it was nothing necessarily to do with your performance. Though even that line itself is pretty murky. Yeah. Yeah. I definitely want to get into the difference between these ways of leaving the job, but I will say to your point, Mallory, those early jobs that I got fired from, I didn't have like a big emotional response to either of those times getting fired, like the getting drunk at the Christmas party. Like I saw that coming from a mile away. I was like, Ooh, yep, that's <laughs> what I get. And the firing from the other job uh, because of my misleading resume. That one, I was also just, I was very young and I just, I was, it was pretty flippant. I was just annoyed that I 
tried so hard to come back from this vacation and like, I can't believe you guys fired me, but <laughs> I was, I was definitely at fault for both of those things. But I would say the jobs that I started taking that were more career steps in my mid and late twenties and jobs that I've had more recently, losing those jobs has been far more emotional. And the toll that that took on me was a lot more intense feeling like personally responsible, whether I was or wasn't, or feeling like I wasn't good enough, or those were the jobs that were a lot harder to lose because I had more emotional investment. I didn't think that I was going to be bussing tables or doing to-go orders for the rest of my life. So mm-hmm. losing my job at casual eatery, no name, um, wasn't a big deal. It was the jobs that I thought were going to lead me to something that was going to be really big and important in my life. And I was like, oh, I, I can't believe it. Mm-hmm. That's really helpful. Thank you both for kind of illuminating that piece. Cause I think my first experience was in a situation where I was let go after being on the job, I think for 10 months or so, and having had this progressive responsibility share. And again, I won't name the place, (laughs) but it definitely been my first big leap into the career I thought I wanted to have. And so when that happened, I remember feeling okay in the moment and honestly kind of relieved. Like I had this like, thank God, and then got home and proceeded to get so sick, like actually physically feverishly ill for days and days. And then as I started to get better, I was like, oh shit, I actually have to tell people that I like don't have a job anymore. Oh my God, what will I do? And So I think it makes sense though. Like you're saying that these, that emotional reaction that is super ego driven vibes definitely can come from more of a place when you're expecting that you've had a, you're going to build a career. You have kind of a sense about the position that you are embarrassed almost, I guess is how I felt. I was embarrassed to feel like I lost my job, but I also think that the wisdom maybe at the younger ages when you did get let go or fired and kind of having that resiliency is something to consider and balance as we have this whole conversation. Cause I do think there's so much stigma kind of piled on to losing your job or not working and perhaps parsing some of that and, and realizing like Julia, <laughs> and Anna, you can go on to much better things and have a, your deck of cards can be reshuffled and all of a sudden you have a better hand. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that's a great like moment to talk about some of the facts of like unemployment now, thanks to the pandemic and the, as you put it, the realness that is so many people are experiencing. I mean, we had in December a 6.7% unemployment rate, which results in like 10.7 million unemployed people, mm-hmm. which, you know, things aren't necessarily getting any better. They're nearly twice their pre-pandemic levels in February. So that's mm-hmm. huge. And it's not being spread evenly for people, which is also even more stressful. Yeah. I think there were obviously millions of people who had possibly their first experience with getting laid off because of the pandemic. And 
even though it's something that obviously none of us had control over, it is still something that can come with feelings of like a personal responsibility or if I had been more valuable or they liked me more then they would have kept me, especially because for companies that didn't go under, some people had to stay, people who had essential roles or fulfillment roles or top management roles, those people still kept their jobs. And when I lost my job last spring, the timing of it was just kind of random. I lost my job on Friday the 13th of May. Was it May or March? March is when quarantine started. Friday the 13th sounds scary. Friday the 13th in March of last year is when I was told that I was, that my position had been eliminated at the company that I worked at. And this was, I think New York had gone on in quarantine that week, but LA hadn't. And so it was when things were starting to get really serious, but I actually was not laid off because of COVID, I was laid off because my sector of the company just wasn't producing any money and it didn't really have anything to do with me personally. I didn't feel super strongly that it had something to do with me when they eliminated that position because I didn't feel like I had an ability to affect change. So it wasn't something that I felt a deep personal responsibility for. But I got fired on Friday or laid off. And on Tuesday is when Los Angeles had their first day in place order. So I was really worried that I wasn't going to qualify for pandemic unemployment assistance, that I wouldn't get any stimulus when that started. So it was a really tricky time and a very confusing because of the reasoning of my letting of being let go and the timing of it within six days of the entire world losing their jobs or seemingly it felt like that ultimately it worked out fine and I was able to collect regular unemployment and I was able to get pandemic assistance and ultimately the reason that I have not been able to go back to work is also pandemic related so those things are all sort of intertwined but yeah everybody was affected by this massive round of layoffs and all of these companies closing so well, and I think you're touching on something interesting and perhaps what we also wanted to talk about with the difference, different ways to be kind of let go or laid off or furloughed. Like I believe in one of the early conversations we had with um, a, our first guest, in fact, she spoke about, Brittany Crockett spoke about being furloughed. And I think that was very much due to the pandemic as well. So like you're saying, so many different people are being affected all at once that maybe there's some camaraderie in that, or at least the awareness by the government to like get aid out and get it out quickly and pay attention to these this incoming wave of unemployment requests. But that also the distinction between the different things is also somewhat important because I think when you're laid off, you're going to lose benefits. You're going to lose access to some of the things that work may have been providing you and giving you security and besides the paycheck. Whereas when you're furloughed, I think there's the expectation your position and your job is being held for you. You typically can stay on the uh, health insurance program and are able to sort of hold on to the rope, if you will, and, and hope that the job is still there if you can wait that long. And so 
I think the pandemic being so wide sweeping and so the breadth of what happened being so huge, it definitely made, I think, Austin, like you said, that you use the word everybody, like so many people were affected. Even if you didn't lose your job, you knew somebody who did, or like in my family, there's the restaurants. So when those closed, it wasn't you know, thank God, knock wood, like the expectation was they would open again. But for a time, that meant no money was coming in, no income. So unemployment was a resource to us, but there was also maybe not the same amount of fear or shame or frustration that you can have when you're let go or fired or even furloughed during, you know, a non-health crisis moment. And I just, I don't know, I think that the different ways in which people are being asked to leave their positions right now is kind of interesting because I think companies are toying around with what will work and how will it work because some of these the reasons for closing aren't always you know it's interesting often that they let you go right at the cusp but some things were happening and it was out of control completely you just weren't allowed to be operating and so as an employee you weren't allowed to be coming into work and the so I was laid off on Friday the next week when state when the stay in place order happened, all of the other people who had my same title but were responsible for a different division of the company, those people were all laid off and told because of the stay in place order, no one can go into work. We can't afford to keep you. It's not going to be financially advantageous and we're not going to be making money during this however long of a period it's going to be and no one knew at the time. So everybody else also got laid off, but with a more specific reasoning and i feel like maybe some other people were able to walk away from that feeling like it for sure didn't have anything to do with me because i was told that it didn't have anything to do with me where when i was laid off they said your division of the company isn't making money so we're eliminating your position which i didn't take personally because i had more insight into the situation but you know i could have been really mm-hmm. taken that very personally yeah Well, and like you said, there's a whole psychology to it all. Well, I think also sort of aside from pandemic times, I think in the past, the difference between getting laid off and getting fired can feel very murky. Like I have been told that my position was eliminated at a previous job and that after they eliminated my position, to which I thought like this job won't exist anymore because the the position has been eliminated. I haven't been eliminated. After I left, they continued to try to fill that job with somebody else. So I think ultimately it was more like getting fired, but their verbiage was more like I got laid off. So it was confusing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I worked for an art museum in Aspen and they have previously been pretty notorious for firing people. And when I was why I call it a layoff is because I was laid off with or let go with about eight other people who also just happened to be deemed not a good fit Mm. right before we had to balance the books for the fiscal new year. And we all (laughs) had been freaking out for a month about not beating our mark for fundraising and all these things. And so it can be super murky of, oh, you don't want to have to pay unemployment. Got it. Like, And whatever else there is, you know, there's always many layers, whether some people got employment, some people didn't, who you actually know that 
like you mentioned, Austin, like who likes you and who has your back. <laughs> and I mean, there's just a lot of political warfare that can happen in an office. Yeah. And NGOs are not immune to that sort of thing. Sometimes it can be even more heightened because there are so many demands on employees to make fundraising goals and do so many jobs under one umbrella title for the sake of being efficient, but also saving money. Right. Well, that kind of makes me think of two things. This last job that I had where I was let go and the position was eliminated, it was a a full layoff. Months earlier, there were other rounds of layoffs just because the company wasn't doing very well financially. And I was on the other side of that where my job actually got saved because my direct report, when they came to her and said, we're going to eliminate Austin's position, she went back to them and was like, absolutely not. He's integral to the company. We like, I can't work without him. You have to choose somebody else instead, which, you know, was sort of up to her discretion to say and up to the company's discretion to take her word for that. And, you know, I, I feel like I had more feelings about that feeling kind of guilty that someone else had to be on the chopping block instead of me. But ultimately we all lost our jobs and none of it really changed. But the, the other thing I was going to say is that when layoff rounds of layoffs happen, there's definitely this like blood in the water feeling. It's very, it's like a heightened emotional, the whole workspace is really affected by looming layoffs because the rumors always happen way before the layoffs happen and you don't know if it's going to be you. And I think those situations are far more stressful or can be more stressful than sort of like the surprise firing. Like you show up and they're like, you don't work here anymore. Mm -hmm. Well, I was just going to comment on not my own personal experience, but almost to that same, like the feeling of it being odious, if you will, and just hard to be around. I worked at a TV station, as I know I've mentioned, and the entire sales department was being basically shrank down to the bare bones. And so I believe that there were like in the tens of people that had received notice and were going to be laid off. But the kind of the deal that was made, which felt just difficult every time you went up to the sales floor, was if they stayed for six months, I believe it was, they would get their package at the end. And so they would have kind of a severance package to live off of. But if they found a different job or left before the six months, they were not entitled to the severance package. And so I just, you know, ever after kind of seeing that in the works and obviously understanding business decisions have to be made, et cetera, feeling like, oh my gosh, that's such a difficult place to be because, yeah, you know, your job is ending at the end of the six months, but also you have a guaranteed income kind of situation or risk it and go jump on and get another job, but perhaps not, you know, I don't know, will they keep you long enough, et cetera. Anyway, so it was just, I just remember that from the working at the TV station and finding it to your point, Austin, like the vibe every time you went on the sales floor was just so off that it was like, I'm going to steer away. (laughs) You can't be up there. Well, and I want to tease out a little bit of what you said, because there is this idea of like, that's just how businesses are run. You know, you have to be a high performer and, you know, I've talked to people in different fields and there's definitely certain fields where it's like, okay, you're like finance, things like that, where the 
bottom 30% every year gets let go if you're not a top earner. And that creates this very competitive, obviously toxic environment where you're competing against your colleagues. Um, if I ever hear the word or the phrase work hard, play hard again at another job where they try to hire me, I will just literally back away slowly because <laughs> that is just an excuse to say, we're going to work you to death. And then we expect you to spend your free time to be with your coworkers who love to party, to blow off steam. But that's the way it works here because we just know how to have fun. Oh, gosh. I, hard pass. Bumper stickers for you. (laughs) (laughs) It's like, I think it was in the 80s where it really became basically commonplace to be like, okay, our shareholders deserve to have the maximum amount of profit, right? So it became all of a sudden beholden to these companies to be like, if we're not, instead of supporting employees, instead of being like, okay, we're not doing as well, say a specific department, what do we need to do to support that specific department to be successful? Instead, it was like, oh, chopping block, mass layoffs became a way to balance the books, which is a really crazy way to run a business. Like it's expensive to hire new people. Like it does create a system of mistrust. How are you supposed to do your best? If you're constantly looking over your shoulder, worried not only if your colleague is going to like stab you in the back, but that you could be dropped at any moment. Yeah. Absolutely. You're, yeah. You don't, you're not worth anything to your employer. No, like unions have used to be, and you know, there's all sorts of people who will push back. Yes. Unions can also be too powerful as well. But like, if you find a balance, like there should be protections for workers and being able to organize and say like, Hey, you were also treated bad. Like, Oh, wait, everybody who happens to be, who identifies as female happens to get 30% less than men who do the same job. Like those kind of things, the fact that we're not supposed to like talk about that openly creates this system where there's vulnerability for everybody. Whether there's a pandemic that just happens to show the weakness in the system, that there is no protection for people when they have been working their butts off in something they thought would be able to support them for the long term. Yeah, I think if there's anyone out there who's like shocked that the system is failing in a pandemic, feel free to pick up a book or listen to our episode about the millennial economy and how these Reagan era deregulations have caused the whole workplace environment and economy to not be a trustworthy system anymore. Yeah, I mean, let's hit the nail on the head, right? Like, I think we found some statistics of who was laid off. And in relatively speaking, these are elderly statistics, the elderly millennial, no, I'm just kidding, but they're from December. So bear with us as this is coming out, you know, in 2021, but it definitely demonstrates to what you're speaking to, Catherine. I think that there's an easy, during the pandemic, it just revealed so much. And so it looked like there was 16% 16% of layoffs were for teenagers, for young, young new workers. And I mean, we've kind of touched on how maybe that can not be the worst thing, but if you're relying on that income as a contribution to your family, like that was devastating. And then it looked like 9.3% were Hispanic. We also found statistic that broke it down by so 6% were white, 9.9% were black, and 5.9% were Asian Americans. But then also between the male and female, which we can get into you know, now if we wanted to, but it sounds like 
that's even come down a little bit harder. Initially, it looked like males and females were losing their jobs at a very similar rate. But then we were kind of learning now that the people who kept their job, especially women that had children, are struggling in this whole other way. Maybe they aren't financially put out, but they're all of a sudden finding themselves as parents. And I think this counts for men too, but finding themselves to be working from home, schooling from home, and really having very few resources to do all of this. And so, yeah, I think I love what you said about just the pandemic really revealed so much uh, like the metaphor that keeps on giving. <laughs> <laughs> well, and that's interesting that you, yeah, like I think a lot of those gender imbalances actually work for heteronormative couples, right. at least statistically, even if there is a more feminine or masculine roles that couples take in same-sex couples, they tend to be happier with how the home chores, other, like the emotional labor that is often put on a feminine partner um, is more evenly balanced versus heteronormative couples who fall into those roles where all of a sudden the woman's, you know, taking care of the children. Well, I will just say anecdotally that it is important to note that in my gay married relationship where I have a husband who goes to work and makes the money I also do not cook or clean in this house. So yeah, I'm bucking that trend too. And he (laughs) listens to this, so I'm going to get in trouble. I was going to say, Brian, don't listen to this. (sighs) I'll tell him that we didn't do an episode this week. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I was just going to say, I just wanted to put a fine point on what Mallory was saying, that there's a lot of women who are in this catch 22, whether they're a single parent or have a partner of having the expectation of still being the the parent that children naturally might gravitate toward for issues or help. And then also being expected. Um, I think I also read a statistic recently where women who have to be pulled away for family obligations are often looked at as not being committed while men do not suffer from that negative stereotype. Right. They're just seen as doing a good job or being or stepping up. Right. So it, it's difficult these like terrains you have to navigate when there is no, you know, you can see your bed in the background or you can you know, your mm-hmm. kids are just off screen and there's nowhere else to go. And I I feel like this is kind of off track, but it is nevertheless always true. Like no one ever asks a man how they handle it all. <laughs> Men with kids are never asked, like, how do you handle it? Because a lot of the times, and obviously there are exceptions to all of these situations, but like, mm-hmm. it's the, the assumption is that the man is not also doing the schooling for the kids and doing the cooking and taking care of the house. And, you know, he's going to yeah. work. He's only doing one thing. That's how he's doing it all. So well, I feel like maybe what's extra interesting is we've been living this life now for almost a, a year. And so I wonder if initially we were kind of rubbing up against these really strong issues with how to divide, how to conquer. And perhaps now that we've been in it a year, I don't know if more people are, re- are realizing like maybe the beauty, the silver lining is like we need to reestablish these roles. Like we cannot lean so heavily on maybe previous stereotypes on what the woman should be doing, what the mother should be doing, what the father should be doing, what the man should be doing. And I guess even in my own um, 
relationship, I feel like that's true. Like the more time we spent at home, we were both here. It was like, how do the dishes keep piling up? Who's eating all of this food? It's like, (laughs) we are. And all of a sudden, I feel like over the course of this last year, there's been just a greater awareness to like what it takes to run a home and keep a home nice. Whereas I think in the flurry and fluster of a nine to five job, perhaps commuting, working out of the home, some of those conversations just weren't happening, whether I was begrudgingly like wiping his dishes up or he's, you know, irritatingly sweeping up my mess. We weren't talking about it, but now we're home together and we are, and it feels like I don't have kids. I just, um, but you know, we're confronting some of those same issues. And so I guess to put a positive spin on what can feel like a really, like you guys are touching on some really important and really honestly negative pieces of our culture, perhaps having this time to be home and have a husband really appreciate how often the kid goes to the mom or really appreciate what does her job consist of and how many hours she's actually working. You know, I felt that and seen that. Like now I know when my husband's home, he's not working. When he's gone, he's at work and I can feel it. Whereas when I was at work, it just, you know, it was, what is he doing? I don't know. I'm at work. I'm busy. And I think same with me. I'm here on my Zoom calls all day long. So he's very conscientious of how my time is being utilized and maybe more aware of how we could better split home duties. And I would say that's a good point. I don't think my partner ever realized like the idea of working from home for myself. And I think that's still true for a lot of people. They're like, what do you do all day? Like, just because I can take a nap during my break and doesn't mean that I'm not working all day. And then actually see me at the office, like at my desk all day in between meetings, move, like, oh, oh, wow. So you're actually working a lot. Like, thank yeah. you. Yeah. Yeah. That's why I didn't <laughs> unload the dishwasher. I had meetings. Yeah. yeah. No, I think that's been important. Yeah. I, I feel like even in my situation of being unemployed and doing this podcast as a passion project, I think there's sort of a lucky factor in that my husband works from home and he can see what goes into what we have to do to put this thing out every week. I think if he was at an office all day and came home and I was like, oh, I worked on the podcast today. Like the idea of that may not sound as truly busy as I keep myself in real life. And when I'm in my office all day long editing or working on outlines or research for an episode and, you know, after he gets off work, he starts periodically popping his head into my office being like, how's it going? And I'm like, I'm still working. Like, (laughs) stop coming up here and telling me about what's on Reddit because I'm really busy right now. I'm really busy. I'm so busy. (laughs) I'm also on Reddit, but it's for work. Okay. (laughs) Uh, very first world problem. How much are you working on the podcast? Hold on. <laughs> so much. I hope he does listen to this episode now. Well, I think that uh, I think that brings us to kind of our last idea here, and maybe one of the more fun ones, at least for me. Uh, and that is the other way to leave a job, and that is the deuces quitting. The deuces. <laughs> I've also quit many a job but I don't want to steal anybody's thunder. Do you guys have? Just saying goodbye? No, I don't. 
wanted to quit a job for a very long time, but it took me a very long time to find a job. And my dad was adamant I not leave until I had another job, which maybe is a story in and of itself, because I don't know that that's always the best advice. The times I've also found a job quickly was times when my like butt was held to a fire, if you will. Whereas when I had the job, it was, it's really, it's like a full-time job looking for a job. So it wasn't as motivating. Um, so it took me a really long time, but when I did finally quit, it didn't feel dramatic. I got a big card. <laughs> thank, thank you. I, I mean, kick to the ass or anything. <laughs> I think your dad's advice is very smart. I, I think finding well, another you. job before before quitting just for anybody listening is really the ideal way of doing it I think kind of pre-pandemic times you might have had a little bit more leeway but certainly when jobs are as scarce as they are now like just because you don't like it and even if it's because it's a deeply toxic workplace like Mm. that should be the fire to find another job not to like tell your boss how much you hate them and then truly freak out about what you're going to do next. I was going to say, this is starting to sound pretty personal. You want to go next, Austin? (laughs) (laughs) I feel like that (laughs) totally applies to me, but the, my quitting story that I thought of when we discussed the outline of the episode was when I quit from the company that I worked at for nine years because I tried to move up and tried to move up and tried to move up. And they sort of like dodged me at every turn until finally, you know, someone in a very high up position told me that I was never going to get the job I was looking for because they wanted someone who was quote camera ready. Mm. So (laughs) I mean, wrinkle nose cringe. Right? I'm going to say you're, I mean, you definitely don't have a podcast face. Let's be honest. (laughs) You're certainly camera ready. She (laughs) thought I did. And I can disagree all day long, but they weren't going to give me, they weren't going to give me a chance. And so I was basically forced to quit in a way. Mm -hmm. And even though I had sort of like a brief satisfaction in the moment of laughing at her on the phone when she told me that, like, I had no, like, I, there was nothing else for me to say. I laughed at her and I, and I hung up the phone, uh, which did feel really good at the moment. And then felt horrible because I quit the job. I started looking for other work and I had to carry with me this idea of like, is she right? Am I really not good enough? I mean, she said other things. It wasn't just like, we think you're too ugly to work for us. Um, (laughs) That was just the part that I hear in my head (laughs) all the time. But she also told me that I didn't have a good enough personality. There was no X factor. I didn't feel, she didn't feel like I connected with clients. All of these things are sort of like patently false. Like Mm -hmm. just truly like I have provably false. I I held master classes. I spoke to hundreds of women at shows where I sold them tens of thousands of dollars worth of makeup. If I wasn't connecting, I wouldn't have been selling. So she was wrong, but I did have to sort of carry with me pieces of like, am I ever going to be able to have this job if I don't look the way that people want someone with this job title to look or whatever? So 
I think the same kind of psychology applies almost no matter how you leave a job. You can leave Mm -hmm. a job and feel like it was the best choice on either end, or you can leave a job by your own choice or someone else's and feel really deeply hurt and personally responsible for it. I think that's really powerful. And I think important to just consider because another element that I've thought of when you're leaving a job, whether it's like you said, by your own means or someone else's is sort of beyond the nitty gritty. Do you keep health insurance? Do you get unemployment? Do you have money in the bank is some of the sense of purpose and community that you're losing. And so I like what you're touching on too, is, you know, the psychology of feeling let go or that you were forced to quit because someone was toxic or offering terrible feedback, by the way, the X factor you have is palpable on every episode of this podcast. So noted, but as cryptic as we are about our past experiences, I would just love to name names. (laughs) Lay it out. (laughs) Yeah. I think the times that it's felt really hard for me was when in the kind of realizing of like, oh my gosh, either I'm not going to see friends again or the community that I had at a workspace is lost or the routine and having to reshuffle. I've never noticed myself to be a person of routine, but the few times that that's been, the rug's been pulled out from under me, it definitely can create, like I said, I was sick on a couch for a week. And I really, truly think that that was an emotional illness. (laughs) It was not the flu. And so I appreciate your story, Austin, and want to go kick this woman in the knees where she lives. As do I. (laughs) We'll be giving her address later after the show. Catherine, you might live in the same city as her. Uh, Oh, we're we're neighbors then. Is it Becky? I can find Becky. (laughs) Yeah. I'll give you her LinkedIn uh, when we're not recording. But yeah, no, I have... I've definitely felt the deep emotional repercussions of leaving jobs in all of those ways. I've been fired from jobs where it really hurt my feelings. I've quit jobs where my feelings still got hurt and I've been laid off uh, from that job that I spoke about earlier where they said that they were eliminating my position but then continued to look for other people to fill it. After I left that job, I, I was in bed for a month and really didn't know how I was going to like get back into the world and that finally was just sort of forced to go back to one of my survival jobs which is another episode that we're going to do in the next few weeks but yeah it's it's hard to make these changes the growing pains of moving throughout your career are they're real and I don't think any of us are alone in that And I don't know that it's uniquely American to get fired or laid off or anything like that. Everyone all over the world, I'm sure, has experiences. But I do think I was having a conversation with a friend about something that does feel uniquely American and maybe is a contributing factor to this idea of the psychology of losing your job, which is we often define ourselves by what we do. And that's like the leading response to like, hi, my name is, oh, what do you do? And then it's a career answer. And I know we'll be talking to someone um, coming up that's really going to help us parse that and discuss it in a way that I think will be super helpful. But before we've received that toolkit, I do think in thinking of times when I've lost a job or had to 
kind of re-answer that question, it, that can be the moment that it feels really like sickening and hard because you don't have a definition to who you are in some ways. And I, I think we're trying so hard through the podcast and the conversation around multi-hyphenates to try to redefine that and realign that and let people see themselves for all the pieces and all the ways in which they're amazing. But when you lose a job, sometimes that's all you'll fixate on. And at least for me, I think speaking personally, it was an interesting confrontation to have in this conversation with my friend that like, that isn't the case all over the world that people um, in her example were from Sweden. They, they don't, that's not the leading thing that they talk about. What they do has nothing to do with who they are. And I find, I don't know, that's like bizarre for me to think about as an American. I don't know. We're so cultured and your job is so definitive of so much. Yeah. You lose one or get fired from one. It's heartbreaking and psychological. <laughs> yeah. And I, yes. And you know, speaking of a country like Sweden, you know, you have the support systems where, you know, I, and not to give you a hard time, Austin, but I think there was only one time in my life where I could actually like sit and take a time off for like a month to be like, okay, I'm not going to run out of food in the kitchen if I can be heard about this. Like, And I, I feel like we need to recognize that there's a lot of people who don't get like, you got fired, you might not have been working full time, whatever unemployment you may or may not be able to get might not support you long enough to be able to live even comfortably, let alone pay your bills. So there has to be that quick, which I think will address a lot in the survival jobs. Um, but what if your job is always what we would quote unquote, call a survival job of you're taking as many different part-time or full-time positions as you can to be able to survive. And there is a big difference. I worked for a company who was based out of the UK. And so we worked with people in Sweden and Ireland, and we would almost kind of compare, like we still got a great benefits package in terms of like vacation, which that was one of the first times I was like, oh, they didn't blink an eye. I didn't have to like earn vacation time. I just like got like two plus weeks. And, but in Australia, our team automatically got a month. And in the UK, it was longer. And so they ended up shutting down our office. And that was the first time I was, one of the first times I was laid off. And they gave us a month notice and then like a month or two of severance automatically. I've never encountered a US company that even thought that was a possibility. And so I do think there's a big difference of when you're not wondering, how am I going to eat tomorrow? then you don't have to be defined by your job so much, which, I mean, even as I say that, I know it's not the same correlation. You don't have to be defined by your job, whether or not it pays the bill. Right. Well, it's just, I mean, you're speaking to, I think, the tension of the larger cultural conversation we're having, whereas like maybe in a European nation, or it sounds like in Australia, they have, like you said, a better system set up so that when you're either fired, let go, or under a difficult time, the support is there to hopefully keep you from, you know, becoming impoverished or losing your home or creating a situation in which you can't dig yourself back out from. 
Whereas it definitely feels, again, pandemic metaphor, yay, very <laughs> clear here in America that we don't necessarily have that system set up for all people. And we don't um, pride ourselves in the ability to keep people afloat for a long period of time if they've been fired or lost their job. I think, you know, even just this constant conversation about sending us all checks to keep us going, like, it's just a very interesting idea that like we are just now realizing that if you give people money and then they can reinvest it in the economy, the economy itself doesn't tumble completely downward and it's a net benefit to all. So I, I think you're touching on something important, Catherine, and obviously something bigger than can be like in a closing of a podcast episode. <laughs> so it's perhaps worthy of its own an elongated discussion throughout. But I think the idea that we're defined by our jobs in America and the piece maybe I, I left off is something you've you've plucked at, which is because if you say I'm a doctor, I'm a lawyer, it's automatically assumed that you have a certain status in the culture because you're making a certain amount of money. And so I think that maybe perhaps to your point, like that is an important definer of like, this is where I am. This is who I am. This is the circle I run in. And in uh, other cultures, perhaps it's not as clear. It's like, oh, okay, so you work at the supermarket. I don't need to automatically assume that you're getting paid a minimum wage and maybe hold out, holding down other jobs or live with roommates or have never left your parents' basement. Like, that's all not implied in the single, you know, statement of what you do. Exactly. Well, I think this has been a really interesting conversation all around and just a good place to leave it is I think it's so important to remind yourself that when we're making these changes in our careers, that it is an opportunity to reshuffle, like you said, Mallory, and ultimately like the Julia Childs and Anna Wintours of the world, losing a job or leaving a job is not the end of a career it's often the place you need to be at the right time and it ties into the imposter syndrome that we talk about all the time of sometimes it not feeling right is an indication that it's exactly right so mm. I think I've had over the years so many bad feelings about myself that are related to what I'm doing or what I didn't get to do or where I was when I left a job and when I look back on it now, even where I am at this moment with no paying job, I regret none of it because it has all led me to where I am now and I'm not mad about it. Hey, girl. Hey. <laughs> well, thank you both for having this conversation with me and with all of our listeners. I know that <laughs> leaving jobs one way or another is something that most of us have gone through unless you're very lucky. And I just wanted to point out that in our show notes, which Catherine does a phenomenal job of writing every week, you are missing out if you are not checking them out. We put a ton of great links in there. And what we'll do this week is we're going to put some resources about where to look for work and some articles that we found about this whole firing and getting laid off psychology. So please do check them out. They're on the page where our podcast lives on your Apple Podcasts and Spotify. And if you would like to follow us on social media, we always love that. You can find us 
at blood sweat careers on Instagram. And you can send emails to us at blood sweat careers pod at gmail.com. And if you have any thoughts on getting fired or good stories or ideas for future episodes, send them there and maybe we'll read your emails in the future. We've never done it before, but we'll see what happens. Oh, out loud. I was like, I'm pretty sure we'll read New segment. Every email. No, we read the emails. <laughs> we haven't read them on the pod, but maybe we will. Um, we are perfect. If we need a segment, we'll we might do we, we, we might do mailbag. Well, <laughs> thank you. I love it. Thank you guys again. We will see you next week. Bye. Bye.